Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed part one of our conversation. Let's kick off part two. So on the on the, on the innovation um, topic, it'd be really good to, to get under the skin of some of the, the particular projects that you've got. It, it's worth saying that the... Uh, the, the short clip videos that are available um, on online about the about the individual initiatives are, are absolutely fascinating and a really really good tool. So anyone who's listening who wants to find out more, I definitely encourage them to to go and firstly look at the sustainability report and, and secondly look at those uh, those video clips. But can you give us a feel for you know what what sits under the skin of, of zero carbon footprint, for example? The best way to look at this is our is our entire value chain footprint, and we have a target here around a thirty percent reduction in the carbon footprint of our beer in hand footprint, so everything from the farm to the fridge by 2030. Um, so we start with the agriculture at the Carlsberg Laboratories in Copenhagen. Um, we have uh, scientists looking into how to breed, um, breed new, breeding new varieties of, of barley that will be uh, climate tolerant in a, in a changing climate. Um, and that have different properties, whether it's for the quality of the beer, obviously always a big focus, um, and also how much kind of energy that the, the barley actually uses through each process of, of brewing. Um, so there's some really fascinating work going on there around innovation um, and also in the Carlsberg Labs and moving on to the kind of the brewing side of it. Um, we have the Young Scientist Programme and there's uh, um, some uh postdoc researchers who are focusing specifically on how we meet our targets around zero carbon footprint and zero water waste. So they're looking at, um, for example, can you use the byproducts from brewing as an energy source? Um, and how do you cut the total amount of water that you use um, in the brewing process? Um, and actually on that, in in our uh, Fredericia brewery in Denmark, um, we've uh, invested in a total water recycling plant. It will reuse 90% of the process water from brewing, um, which will take the water use uh, from about... So uh, today it uses about 2.7 hexalitres to create one hexalitre of beer. 2.7 hexalitres of water to one hexalitre of beer, um, which is very efficient, but the new plant will take it down to about 1.4 hexalitres of water to a hectolitre of beer, which is as good as you can get, and it's that is zero water waste. That's a kind of pioneering project um, with kind of innovation at, at the centre of it. And we talked we talked a little bit about about packaging earlier with the snap pack. Pete is also a man bearing gifts, so we, we've also got on the table uh, in front of us um, a new innovative bottle uh, that Carlsberg's been developing. Are you able to tell us a little bit about that? I, I can confirm yep. that it feels good in the hand, which is an important <laughs> aspect of uh, of Carlsberg beer. Packaging's really important to this beer in hand footprint because it's about 40% of our value chain footprint. So it's massive. And that's why we have such a big focus there. And that's what, hence the snap pack, reducing the total amount of packaging we use um, and the green fibre bottle. So this is our, the green fibre bottle is our vision to create a fully bio-based fully biodegradable and fully recyclable beer bottle, or if you like, the world's first paper beer bottle. Um, and we announced this in 2015, and um, since we've been working on on prototypes, so I'm holding at the moment the, the latest prototype, um, which uh, has sustainably sourced, is made of sustainably sourced wood fibres, um, and then has a, currently has a recycle, uh, recycled PET lining. Uh, the final version will be fully 
fully paper based. And this is this is important because it uh, both it kind of if it if it ends up in in the environment, which we definitely wouldn't want anyway, we'd want it to be recycled. But if it ended up in the environment, it would just biodegrade naturally. Um, but also in the production of it it will have a carbon footprint equal to our best packaging format, which is uh, the returnable glass bottle. Um, so it's, it, it's you know, super low carbon uh, packaging type um, and super low impact for the environment. And the other element of this is, so when we, when we um, kind of unveiled the prototypes, we announced the uh, paper bottle community. So we've got a number of leading businesses joining us in this community and I think that's really important, and that's an important point around sustainability. Uh, by collaborating and by sharing what you have, um, and by working together, you can you can move faster, and you can move at the kind of speed and the scale that you need to 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 tackle the challenges that we're facing. And I think that goes right back to what you were saying uh, around the foundation and the, the 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 partnerships that develop on the back of some of the the creativity and innovation that comes through the, the foundation. So it's a very interesting Carlsberg story and certainly a theme that we see across many people who are addressing responsible business issues. How, how do we do that in, in collaboration and partnership? These are issues that are not necessarily competitive. They are in some places, but often they're actually about just doing things better as an industry. So the interesting about thing about these is, you know, these initiatives, both Snappack and, and the Green Fibre Bottle, were started long before plastic was being talked about kind of every day as it is at the moment. So they weren't a, a reaction to, to conversation. They were a realisation that this format isn't the future. We need something different. So plastic rings or in some European markets, kind of uh, those six packs are actually shrink wrapped. That's not the future. Um, we, need, we need a better alternative. And that's where Snappack came, came from um, and certainly the green fibre bottle as well. So one of the things I'm interested in, every beer drinker knows that beer doesn't travel very well uh, and where it's brewed is critical to the taste. What's Carlsberg's position on brewing uh, local to market where it's going to be distributed? Yeah, so we have breweries in, in most markets where we distribute. In the UK, we proudly brew in Northampton. Um, so we brew um, we brew Carlsberg there and, uh, and San Miguel um, and a number of our other uh, brews. And I think, like you say, firstly, beer quality is is much better. Beer doesn't travel. It's better when it's fresh. Um, and secondly, obviously, on the sustainability side, um, we don't want to be moving vast quantities of, of uh, bottles and cans around. Um, yeah, on, on both those elements, we have uh, breweries and local places. I think the important thing is you need to get to scale to make it worthwhile. Um, so big breweries have a benefit in that the bigger the brewery, the more efficient you can be. And um, I talked about those ratios of water use um, to beer production. That um, is very much related to the size of the brewery and, and how much you're brewing. So you don't want to be using a big brewery to brew a very small batch of something. Right. So there's still an element of transporting things around. Where we can, it's bringing in tankers and then packaging it ourselves so that you're transporting less. Well, it sounds like we've got better quality locally brewed beer and uh, more sustainable packaging and particularly that the, the bottle which I'm looking forward to hitting the market uh, to look forward to so we're grateful for that that innovation I'm interested in actually in the long-term nature of the the project um, so together towards zero you know not a short-term objective it's a long-term objective is that does that affect the engagement that you have or or, or does it make you more ambitious about what you can achieve over the longer period 
I'm thinking you have a you have a long term um, project with a goal of 2030 to achieve your objectives. Is is that a positive in the sense that it gives people time to to plan for big long term impacts, or is it a negative because uh, it's a long way off and it's somebody else's problem? Right. Yeah. Interesting. I think the important thing is as well we have 2022 targets too, which is. Very close, actually. Too close. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Some of them are are very close, and I think um, if I take carbon footprint, so we've got by twenty thirty, our brewery in Northampton, along with all the other breweries around the world, will be zero carbon emissions. Um, by twenty twenty two, we'll have a fifty percent reduction from twenty fifteen, which is our baseline. We we're a bit of a way off that at the moment. I think we are around sixteen percent reduction. Um, at the end of 2019, this this is something that's built into individuals' KPIs um, and individuals' objectives. So, um, making sure that our brewery uses energy in the most efficient way, for example, um, like you say, if if it were just 2030 targets, it seems a long way off. But they are actually built into people's individual objectives year on year. In the case of energy and water, month by month. Um, and it sounds like it comes back to that engagement issue that you were talking about earlier. If you're, you're in an industry where people are, are passionate about the product that they're they're involved with, so yeah, they're not going to let it be someone else's problem tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. So we've talked about some of the environmental projects within uh, the Together Towards Zero initiative. What about the others? What about irresponsible drinking and, and zero accidents culture? What, what sort of a practical initiatives are underway? Within a zero accidents culture... The way we're talking about it in the UK is rather creating a positive culture around safety. Um, so, and, and in 2019, we had uh, three lost time accidents. Now, our ambition is obviously zero, and any accident is too many. Um, but then we look at specifically what, what happened and why and create action plans around that. Um, there are you know uh, specific groups and risk assessments across the business, and it's very much led at a leadership level. So our leadership team will do um, walks around, kind of safety walks. And then I think the interesting area, because obviously within manufacturing and within the brewery, that's that's long been a focus and it's long been, um, it's got to be the safest place to work. The area where we're we're really placing more emphasis now as well is on the office and also our field-based teams. So we have people, you know, sales sales teams going out to pubs, driving around the country. Um, and I think uh, working with them, creating a more kind of commercial-focused safety champions network, um, there's a lot more focus there on how we can improve safety for people, um, both in the kind of traditional sense of safe driving and um, and training around that. And also in terms of working around alcohol, going into these pubs on on your own. I think half, half the battle presumably is making it a priority. So by having done that, there's a greater level of awareness amongst the workforce. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. It really is a priority. It's kind of it's discussed at, at the beginning of every management team meeting, and um, it's very much led from the top, which I think is really important. One one of my observations is uh, looking at how different industries have, have approached similar issues. So if you look at the cigarette industry, for example, um, talking about eliminating harmful cigarettes, it seems to have been received more cynically than the brewing industry bringing alcohol-free products to market. Uh, how, how do you go about making sure that, that alcohol-free is a positive uh, and not something that's that's viewed cynically in the market? There are there are two elements around this. One is is the responsibility in in our 
products um, that we put to market are alcoholic products. So making sure that a single serve is not over a certain number of units um, and ensuring kind of clear labeling um, around both around responsible drinking um, and enjoy responsibly um, and on the kind of nutritional ingredients and, and those values. And then within alcohol free, it's we're always trying we're always thinking of alcohol free as actually a positive choice, not as um uh oh I can't drink so I have to have a alcohol free. More by making great tasting alcohol free products and by increasing the availability of them, we hope that we can encourage people to to still go to the pub and still have a great tasting beer just without the alcohol in it. Um so focusing on that experiential piece yeah rather than actually the, the the product itself yes yeah and i think there are figures that show a decline in drinking um among certainly among certain kind of age groups as well and i think you know this is an important part both of the commercial success of the business really uh, making the most of this new and growing category um and also supporting you know a um struggling pubs industry in the UK um, and ensuring that people still go out, still want to have a great time, still can have something that tastes amazing that isn't um, super sweet or really boring. <laughs> Makes sense to me. So so my my, my take on, on everything that I've, I've learned uh, getting ready to have this conversation with you has been that Firstly, Carlsberg's got a very diverse sustainability project, and, and secondly, that it's uh, it's very hardwired into the organisation. It's not it's not something superficial that's um, being added on by a communications department. Which I think, obviously, credit credit to you and your team. There'll be a lot of people who were engaged within the project who feel slightly overwhelmed approaching the sustainability agenda and won't know where to where to start. Have you have you got? Any advice for people who are feeling that sense of overwhelm with such a broad potential agenda? Yeah, it is, it is, and it certainly can be overwhelming. I think the key is to focus on both where where your biggest impacts lie. So for your business, what are the areas that you impact the most? So we know that we use a lot of energy, we use a lot of water, um, we create products that need to be enjoyed responsibly, um, and there are safety risks in in the work that we do. So I think those are the kind of four obvious areas. The other element is what can you influence the most? Um, and you look at when I was talking about the value chain footprint. Um, so we, I talked about packaging being forty percent. That's kind of the biggest impact. It's also the area that we can influence because we do all the packaging ourselves. So I think it's where where is the most impact for, of your business and where can you influence it the most? Okay, so I'm almost looking at the 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 the, the, the probability of something and and the impact that you can have in in dealing with it. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, I think that's that's the place to start because if you can find just a couple of elements of those, a couple of examples of those, then it's it's good to be starting to do something rather than trying to spread yourself too thinly and do everything. And that's why our sustainability plan is very focused on those four areas because it gives really four really clear areas. Um, there are other areas that are really important to being a responsible business and they kind of sit um, below those, those four pillars and hold them up, I suppose. Exactly. I mean, and it is really interesting. Again, reading the the 2019 sustainability report, where um, there's an explanation of how you arrived at those priorities, but it also identifies the other uh, 
areas of, of interest that you didn't prioritize. And I, and I think having the confidence to say, okay, this is our priority, this isn't, is, is, a, is a really healthy thing. Um, I think a lot of people feel that uh, just just working on one or two issues is, is, is not touching the surface at all. But actually, back to what you were saying, identifying what's going to have an impact and being clear about your objectives and your actions seems to be absolutely the way to go. And I think that transparency is a super important area too because you could focus on one issue and it may look like you've ignored the others but I think if you're transparent about what it is you've chosen and why um, and also transparent on the areas where you need to do more um, that's important in the sense of just being open about it but also that's how you can start collaboration start innovation if you're open about these areas where you need to develop. Yeah, and then actually, in fact, this idea of collaboration comes up a number of times in in the conversations that we've had and what I've what I've read. What what are the characteristics businesses should look for in the people that they collaborate with? For Carlsberg, it's it's you know it's more in the organisations we collaborate with. I think the shared the shared values, the shared shared ambition is is ob- the obvious place to start. Um, we all want to go in the same direction. Um, if you look at, for example, our suppliers, I talked about science-based targets um, and doing what we can to limit our emissions to 1.5 degrees. Um, so 110 of our suppliers globally are signed up to science-based targets. There's only 732 um, companies globally signed up to those. And I think that's an example of collaborating with suppliers who are who match our values um, and match our ambitions uh, and also of kind of transport transforming a value chain um, to all be going in the same direction. And I think yeah, it goes back to something you were saying earlier around um, communication and transparency because I think it's only when you have that open approach to the way that you deal with these issues that you actually come across people who you feel you can work with. And and the experience we see over and over again that is that it comes back to humans and human relationships and shared, as you say, shared shared visions. And um, that that's what make these makes these things tick rather than business logic. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, we're fortunate to have great people in the business and um, and to be a business that people want to work with. It's a good place to be. Yeah. So when we set out uh, with the Zebra Project, one of the, one of the goals that we had was to help people formulate their their agenda for the for the for the next five years you know thinking about what should be on the corporate agenda of a responsible business in the next five years thinking you know either broadly about that topic but but perhaps more specifically about sustainability what do you think will be the the sustainability issues in five years time that perhaps we're not talking about or not talking enough about now I don't. I don't see it changing that much from now. I think possibly who talks about it will change. So, from my perspective, climate change is the biggest challenge we face. Um, we have, you know, boil accounts about ten years to to sort sort it out. Um, you can see that within five years, that's going to become an even bigger conversation than it is now. And in the last five years, it's changed already. What I hope to see is more consumers talking about it more brands talking to their consumers about about carbon, about climate change. You've seen it with plastic because plastic is so tangible, um, so kind of understandable for consumers. You, you, you buy a pack with less plastic on it, great. But there's a, the challenge that happened there is there's been a lot of brands trying to just get out of plastic and have switched to potentially a lot more of another material. So carbon's sort of gone out the window in some cases. But I think 
carbon really needs to be the center of the conversation. Um, and I can't, you know, I, I'll be worried if that's not the main theme in five years. Yeah, and I agree. I don't think we're going to be solving any of those problems soon. And uh, which is, uh, I guess, put more positively, there's no excuse to not be getting on with finding ways in our own individual worlds to, to get on and address some of those issues. One of the things I've noticed about people's willingness to engage with the sustainability agenda is that there's some reticence, there's some, there's some cynicism perhaps that comes with such a broad agenda. Do you, do you see that cynicism? Have you got a way of dealing with that personally or, or within the organisation? An extreme example, but the other day I met someone who um, I told them my role, told them I was a sustainability manager, and they said, so climate change, do you think that exists? Do you? <laughs> and um, after I don't think I dealt with it very well because I was quite wound up when I heard that because I, I think... Um, it's difficult, especially if you're sort of talking about it all day, to then take that step back to to that level of explaining that it exists in the first place. Because I think um, the situation we're in, and I guess quite um, privileged by that, is that we don't have to explain that it exists because it's. I thought it was taken as granted by by most people. There are still clearly, yeah, there are still clearly a lot of skeptics, and I think some of that is. Um, is going to be difficult to shift, um, and some people have have strong opinions and and won't won't change those. Um, and there's you know there's ways of ways of handling that. I think I think towards your question on a broad agenda and kind of skepticism on whether we will get to where we need to go and whether the business is doing enough. I think. It's clear, and it's clear for the investments from the investments and innovations that we've done that it's being taken very seriously by the by the business, um, and not just as a kind of um, as a fad or or just as a kind of commercial piece. And obviously, it always has to be commercial. It always has to have a commercial element. We have to um, continue to sell beer, otherwise, none of us will have jobs, and we won't be able to do anything. Um, but I think there's there's investment beyond that level. So you look at the green fiber bottle; that's a serious innovation that is is um, is not just about kind of keeping up with other people. It's really kind of leading. It's really pushing forward. It's really kind of investing for the future. So I think there is a, a clear um, belief across across the business, certainly that it's being taken very seriously. Um, and I don't see kind of I don't see kind of too much of that cynicism, to be honest. Well, I think the levels of investment that, that that we've seen through Carlsberg is a demonstration of how serious that's that's being taken within within Carlsberg as an organisation. And I think one of the other really important things for for businesses generally to to bear in mind is that where there are um, cynics or doubters around particular issues, whatever whatever they may be, uh, people do take their cue from brands and products and organisations that they feel very positive about. So all credit to Carlsberg for uh, making these investments and being so out there with a with a leading agenda around sustainability. I think around around all of these agendas and uh, we can talk about what's happening at an organisational level but it's but it's individuals that that make an impact. What are the things that motivate you personally and and, and things that satisfy you most as a, as as a person in being in the role that you're in? I um like you actually studied geography at Exeter, um, and then and then went on to um, kind of really focus on sustainability, the area that I found really interesting. I found that we 
surprising, I suppose, was was the climate change area when I first started learning about that and seeing the position that we're in. And at that time, very little recognition that we needed to do anything drastic. Um, I think the opportunity that I saw was was in was working in big business um, because they are the ones that have kind of the both the brand power to inspire people and to reach millions of people um, and also the the funds to be able to invest for the longer term and to to make an impact um, so I think for me working in a business that really takes sustainability seriously that has this heritage of innovation and um, and responsible business I think that for me is exciting uh, and to have the kind of have the license then to be able to look at what we could be doing and to to drive the sustainability agenda um, I think any impact that we can make any any change that we can make within our business has a has a huge impact so um and I can't take responsibility for this because the the kind of <laughs> I'm not a packaging designer but for example we took 10 grams of glass off our new bottles for Carlsberg and in six months, saved 63 tonnes of glass. So I think it, it's a good example of, although I'm not a packaging designer, it's a good example of a really small change uh, can have a massive impact when you're in a, a big organisation. So I think that, that for me is really exciting. No, absolutely. And, and it's interesting that you you picked up on that point around recognising the impact that some, something had had. And I think that brings us full circle back to the idea of the importance of communication that we were talking about earlier. And I've certainly seen that many of the successful sustainability agendas are where uh, there's been a really uh, sophisticated treatment of data underlying the progress that's being made on on, on on particular projects and then actually can communicating with the right stakeholders, whether that's employees or consumers, and showing them in, a, in an accessible and tangible way the impact of the activities they've had or, or have stopped having. I wanted to ask you, who you really admire in the sustainability sphere? Where do you, who do you get your motivation from? So I think it, it may be a, a slightly cliche answer, but I, I really think David Attenborough has had the kind of biggest impact in in sustainability in recent times. I think if you look at the the conversation around plastics and everyone talks about the Blue Planet effect, but I think it's credit to the way that he kind of has garnered that respect um, and authority on on these topics around um, yeah environmental action um, and also the kind of the way that throughout his career he sort of brought people into nature and and shown them kind of the impacts of what's happening why it's important so I think as a as someone who kind of does a lot of communications in their work I think the way that Attenborough does it is is really um, interesting and clearly very impactful. You cannot you cannot you can't cease to be impressed with the way that he speaks to different generations in the, in the same way. That absolutely has a great great motivation. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think you know, um, sitting sitting on the sofa in South London watching Blue Planet, you, it really has you know it has an impact you see you see the impacts of climate change you see the impacts of kind of plastic pollution in the ocean and clearly it, it made an impact across the nation because it's um yeah it really sparked off that conversation about plastic i think the difficult thing is how we move that then to more around carbon and more around things that are less tangible but i think that method of storytelling and that showing people the impacts even though it may be far away create that emotional connection um 
is really important. It's something that they, those uh, those documentaries and that Astrid does does incredibly well. Uh, Pete, a really interesting conversation. Thank you for um, giving us a sense of what Carlsberg's about, but also bringing some of your broader experience of how people are approaching sustainability to the conversation today. Thanks very much. Thank you.